The scripture for today's sermon comes from Hebrews 9, verses 26 through 28. The word of God speaks to us. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrificing of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Brittany. <clears throat> Guys, we need to just really lament for Corey here. We, I think we did a disservice to you, brother, on your first time to do announcements this morning. Where are you at in the room? Yeah, there you are. It was like giving you that many announcements was like giving a first-time scripture reader a list of names, the genealogy in scripture. He's going, well, that's all we have to do with announcements. <laughs> I, I gave my sermon today. Um, hey, guys, it's good to be with you this morning. Are you doing okay? Yeah. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors, and uh, if I had a chance to meet you, it's, it's so good to be here today. It's good to be home. So the last few weeks, uh, I've missed being downtown. I've been uh, visiting Shawnee and their congregation, Edmond and their congregation. And then a couple of weeks ago, Phil and I got to go out to North Carolina and visit our church plant there with uh, John and Kristen Murphy and Blake and uh, Marissa Burrow and see what they're doing. They've been planted for about 18 months and they've got so many new Christians. They're having a baptism service the week after they were there and getting to hear the stories of new, uh, new conversions and, and new Christians uh, was amazing. So over the last three weeks, I've missed being here with you guys. There's nothing like being home, but it's been a great three weeks of just seeing what God is doing around kind of the, the orbit of our partner congregations and sister congregations. And so I get to bring greetings from them. And, uh, but today I get to open the word of God with you. Amen. And so, hey, we're starting the season of Advent. If you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter nine, the passage that was just read, where we're gonna be. And if you're new to Advent, maybe you're not yet a Christian and uh, you've heard the, the word and the theme all, all this morning. Let me sort of just give a brief explanation of what Advent is. It comes from a Latin word, Adventus. It simply means coming or arrival. And we're talking about the arrival of God, right? So the idea is that it's a four-week season beginning after Thanksgiving, leading up to Christmas that the church has observed since very early on. And the whole idea of this season is that it would be a time to cultivate longing, a time to cultivate expectation, a time to prepare for the inbreaking of God, right? That we typically celebrate at Christmas with the birth of Jesus. That's what the season's about, to cultivate longing, a season of preparation, a season of expectation for God to break in, looking back on the first advent. We'll talk a bit more about that as we get busy in our sermon today. But as we jump in, I'd ask you to pray for me. I'll pray for you, and we'll see how God would shape us by his word. Our Lord Jesus, we come to you. We come to you because of all that you've done for us. Father, we come in the name of Jesus today. And there's a variety of ways, a room this size, there's a variety of ways we're approaching this moment. And God, I'm, I'm always weakly so grateful that you know how to handle every one of us. I feel like I say that so often, but I'm just aware of it for all the ways we come into the room, for all the different things that are bringing us to this particular moment. You know how to handle us. You know how to speak to us. Hey, Father, I'm, I'm encouraged even as I think of it that you're not confused about what to do with any one of us. You're not put off or inconvenienced by any one of us. 
And so as we open your word in this moment, we, we wanna do this with you, God. Your living word being open to us, we wanna do this with you. And so we ask that we would have an encounter with you. We ask that you'd help us to hear your voice. We ask an ancient prayer the church has prayed, what we have not, would you give us? Where we lack faith, would you supply it? And where our affections have grown cold, would you spark them again? And we offer this prayer in the strong name of Jesus, our King, and everyone together said, Amen. 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 Well, a couple of weeks ago, when I was in North Carolina, I got a text message from my wife, and it simply read, I caved, dot, dot, dot. And I don't know about your texting etiquette, like how you think about doing these sorts of things, your ethic of texting. But if you send something like that, and if it's trivial, you just sort of say whatever you cave to, immediate response. I caved, dot, dot, dot. Here comes the thing I caved to, trivial enough. If it's a serious thing, you don't sort of send a follow-up response. You leave it there, and it's like an SOS, like a cry for help. I caved. As soon as you see this, call me, please, right? Well, I was away from my phone. My wife sent this, and so I got back to my phone, and I see the text message no trivial follow-up to what she caved to is a ha-ha-ha, you caved to cookies or something. It was just, I caved, dot, dot, dot. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what? I'm away from home. I'm, I'm in North Carolina. What does she cave to? My mind starts going, has she spent money we didn't talk about? Uh, has she committed us to a social gathering that she knows I'm going to hate? Uh, <laughs> what, what does she cave to? And so I call her, you know, and she answers cheerful enough. Hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm great. And she says some things, and I'm like, you caved, you caved. And she goes, oh, yeah, the kids wore me down, and we started listening to Christmas music. <laughs> you know, and I say that out here, and like some of you are like, oh, we started listening to Christmas music like October 1st, right? Some of you fired up early. And, but for us, we're like a family that like, I, I sort of flag on the ground. We don't do that until at least after Thanksgiving, you know? Two weeks early, she caved. She caved, I got this text. Sometimes... Our longing for things like this is too much and we just give way, don't we? This season is different for all of us, isn't it? This season hits all of us different. Like we had Thanksgiving on Thursday. You know that. Um, we had Thanksgiving on Thursday and, and for some of you it was a good holiday. Like for some of you, you, like you look forward to the holidays and it was good to be with family, with friends, whoever you were with and it was good to share the meal. And for others of you, holidays just sort of trigger things in you, don't they? They, they trigger all the kinds of experiences that remind you that however it is, it, it's not supposed to be this way. You wish it weren't the way that it is. And that could be a variety of things like estranged and broken relationships, and I, and I feel particularly that one. It's not supposed to be this way. You feel maybe things inside of you that aren't the way they're supposed to be. Like, why am I the way that I am? The loss of loved ones, the people who were with you last year this time, and this, maybe this is your first time, or it reminds you every time again that someone should be there and they're, and they're not. Infertility, miscarriage, there's a variety of things that cause us to say it's not supposed to be this way. And there are moments where we can grow so familiar with the way things are that we wish that they weren't. We can grow so familiar with the way things are, we just sort of figure out how to live with it, you know? And we don't think about it much. We just sort of go through the holidays and this, it is the new way. It is, it is the new normal. And we could accustom to that, but there are other moments, again, where 
as much as we're used to it, we're hit afresh with, oh man, it's not supposed to be this way. That particular relationship, that particular area of life, it's not supposed to. Lean in with me here. What I'm trying to drive at is whatever that longing is, wherever that, wherever that place of it's not supposed to be this way, whatever that longing is, wherever that place of lament, like that place of ache, wherever that is, whatever the tension that you feel is, that is the doorway into the season of Advent. Like that, that's the gateway into what we're looking at this season. And so what we often want to do is silence the disquiet. We want to numb it. We want to put it away with attempts at happiness. But here's what I want to open to you this morning is those realities, those situations, those scenarios that awake those emotions that is the invitation into what Advent is all about. I read an author this week that said it better than I could put it myself. It just simply said, Advent starts in the dark. Advent starts in the dark. That's the way it's always happened. So for all the lights and the evergreen that we dress the season with, and hey, the church is beautiful and it's supposed to be, we have something to celebrate. For all the things we dress it with, this season actually discourages you from covering over the dark with plastic cheer. Like, don't you feel a pressure to put on the plastic cheer? What we celebrate at Advent, the church's practice of Advent, is actually a discouragement from plastic cheer. It's a discouragement. Because what we believe is that Advent starts in the dark, not just the dark out there, the dark in here. And we actually believe that it's that place that God would keep his promises. He'll meet us. He'll break in. He'll, he'll do it just like he's always done. And so let me try to unpack for you how we're going to travel through the next few weeks. This year, we're taking a bit of a different approach to our Advent series. I don't think that many of you or maybe any of you think of eschatology when it comes to this time of the year, a study of end times when it comes to the season of Advent. But here's the reality. Here's what we're trying to do by leaning into this. The end for which everything is created, the, the, the end for which everything is headed, the telos, where it's all going, the end for which all of history is headed actually has everything to do with what we celebrate this time of year. Maybe to say it a different way, all of history is bending to Jesus. He's not confused about that. He's not anxious about that. He's not worried that somehow that's going to be upended and different. All of history is bending to Jesus, and it's always been that way. But for us, living in real time, that reality came into technicolor on that first night those cries came from the Bethlehem stable. And so if you think about our faith, what is our faith without a future hope? Our faith without a future hope would be what C.S. Lewis calls always winter and never Christmas. What is our faith without future hope? And what is our future hope without certainty about the things that we hope in, right? Hope is hope because you know exactly where it is that you're placing all of that. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about eschatology, our future hope, last times, last things, and, and take some weeks to explore the Bible's teachings on that. So we'll explore today the return of Jesus, the second advent. 
Next week, we'll look at the resurrection from the dead. Week three, final judgment, a chipper topic. Don't miss that one. And then we're going to wrap it up the week before Christmas by talking about new heavens and new earth. This is our hope. And so today, as we jump in, we're going to explore the place that we find ourselves and what some scholars call the time between. We're going to explore where we find ourselves in the time between. You and me live between the two advents of Christ. We look back on the first and we look forward to the second. And I don't know any other passage of scripture that brings these two advents together with their aim and their focus more clearly than the one we read at the beginning of our time. So look back at it with me, Hebrews chapter 9. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, well, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. The first thing I want you to see this morning, and it might sound a bit elementary, but I've got to make it plain, is this. Advent is about God. Advent is about God. And, and simple as that may be, obvious as that may be, I want to make it plain, maybe more personally than anything, but I want to make it plain because I know at least for me, I have such a temptation this time of year to make things about myself, right? It, it's so easy this time of year to make things about tradition. Well, these are our traditions. This is how we do things. This is, about, this is how our family rolls. Or, or to make things about preferences, where I'm going to spend the holidays and how much time I'm going to spend at one place and not another, and just making that plain. It's easy to make things about sentimentality, nostalgia, just that we like a certain Christmas aesthetic, right? It's easy to make things about ourselves. But we can never go wrong, you and I can never go wrong making an effort to return to a God-centered vision of things. And so think about Advent. For all the ways that we've talked about already this service, that this season is about longing, it's about expectation and preparation, I don't want you to be confused as though that's about us, as though what the feature is, is our longing and our expectation, our preparation. That's not the point. Our religious practice is not the feature. This season is primarily about the inbreaking of God. That's what it's about. Notice the language of the passage three different times. In verse 26, it says, he appeared once. In verse 28, the beginning, it says, he was offered once. The end of verse 28, he will appear a second time. And so you think back the Old Testament saints, the ones who first held the promise of the first advent. Genesis chapter three, sin enters into the world. God gives a promise. It won't always be this way. There's gonna be one who'll be born of a woman who will crush the head of that crafty serpent. And so the Old Testament saints longed for the first advent. When's he gonna come? Where's he gonna come from? Who will he be? When will he show up? They longed, they waited, they ached, they groaned for generations for the promised Messiah. There's this refrain if you've paid attention to the Old Testament. Even though Israel's history was absolutely drenched in God's presence and faithfulness, like we can see that from our vantage point, that even though it felt as though at times he wasn't with them, we can see from our panorama, hey, he was always with you. He was guiding things forward even when it seemed dark. 
Israel's history was drenched in God's presence and faithfulness. But very often, their real-time experience, God, where are you? Where are you? Why haven't you shown up yet? Why hasn't the promised one come? Hey, there's this refrain in the book of Psalms, how long, O Lord? Like, how long? And then they ask the question, will you delay? Will you keep holding out on us? Like, how long, O Lord? Where are you? Why haven't you spoken? Why aren't you doing anything about this? Only you. And and then there's this in Psalm 70, they kind of quit asking the question. In Psalm 70, there's this direct demand of God, make haste. Get here now. Don't delay. Only you can do something about me. Only you can do something about us. Only you are the desire of the nations. Get here. And and isn't it true that the aches of the Old Testament saints sound a lot like our aches? Where is he? Why hasn't he spoken? How long, O Lord? But notice that when God shows up, that's the only thing that matters. When God shows up, that's the, no one, when Jesus was born, after all the aching, after all the longing, as though that was the feature, when Jesus shows up, no one was saying, well, it's about time. No one says that. There's no boasting. There's no prize in waiting as though somehow God is in our debt. Well, we've been waiting for you. No, 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 no. Whatever sacrifices the Old Testament saints made, whatever, whatever ways they abstained from the world to cultivate craving for God, whatever ways that they waited, when God showed up, none of those sacrifices mattered anymore because he's here. He's here. And all the sacrifices, they're not even seen as sacrifices because he's worth it. He's here. He was the prize. And don't make any mistake, like God does bless those who wait on him. He does do it. There is a blessing for waiting on God. But the blessing is that you're being formed and you're detoxing from the world so that you can actually lay hold of enjoying his presence. Like the blessing of the waiting is that you're, you're ripping your fingers from this world so that you can actually lay hold of him when he comes. That's the blessing of waiting. And so in the longing... And in the waiting that this season is about, here's what we're actually doing. We're actually agreeing with the whole point. What we're saying in the longing, what we're saying in the preparation is God, only you will do. Full stop. Only you will do. For all the deep places in our soul, for all the, all the ways that we want to avoid the dark, we've tried that and it hasn't worked. For all the places that we'd rather give quick fixes to the dark. We've tried that and it hasn't worked. For all the places that we'd rather just numb out, Advent reminds us only God will do. Only God will do. So the first move today is Advent is about God. It's not about your longing. It's not about your waiting. Oh, that's a part of it. It's about waiting for God. The second move today is Advent is about the gospel. Advent is about the gospel. Can we, can we today, maybe you're familiar with what the gospel is. Today, I want to invite you into a rehearsal of it. Can we rehearse it together? If you're new to the good news of Jesus, I want to try to unfold it for you. 
And so before we get to the scope of the first advent and the second, verse 27 tells us why it is, why it's so critical it is that we need a breakthrough from God. Verse 27 reads this way. Just as it's appointed, and it is, everyone has an appointment with this. It's appointed for a man to die once. And after that comes judgment. This verse gives us a matter of fact about your life and mine. Full stop, period, end of sentence. It's appointed for everyone to die once. And after that comes judgment. This verse tells us that we're not ultimate. This verse tells us that there's an end that you can't escape and I can't either. No matter how successful you are, no matter how well put together your family is, no matter how many social justice causes you take up to be an agent of change in the world, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how much you exercise, no matter how well you eat, none of us get to escape death and you don't get to escape the holiness of a living God. You don't get to escape it. This verse tells us that someone else gets a say over you, no matter how hard you try to suppress that. It's appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Hebrews chapter 10, a chapter later in the book of Hebrews, verse 31 is actually gonna up the ante here, and it's gonna say, it's actually a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And it's not a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God because he's an angry and loveless judge. That's not why it's so fearful to fall into his hands. The reason it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God is because he's holy and we're not. The reason that you don't just strut into the hands of a living God, that you actually tremble there, is because there's no darkness in him, but there is in us. And left to ourselves, the verdict of our judgment is clear. Can you put it in your mind's eye what it will be like to stand in the presence of perfect goodness? Can you put that in your mind's eye? Of course that will expose things in you. (laughs) Of course that will expose his eye and his judgments. They know the truth about you. His eye and his judgments know the truth about you that not even you want to admit to yourself. His eye and his judgments go to places inside of you that tell the truth that no other, no other eye, no other judgments can go. And no matter what version of yourself you want to present on the outside, verse 27 is true. It's appointed once for a man to die and after that comes judgment. But look at the next verse because this is where we get Advent. Verse 28 So Christ, having been offered once, he bore the sins of many. He bore the sins of many. Notice what the writer's trying to do. He's using a parallel statement between 27 and 28. He's trying to show us just what Jesus has done. So he says in 27, you know, just as it is that a man is appointed to die once and then comes judgment, so also Jesus has come and died. He was offered once and he has come into judgment. And so it's parallel in the sense this, that that the writer wants to see that Jesus joins us in death and judgment. But it's not just that he rides shotgun with us, that he experiences those things too. It's that Jesus, what he wants us to see is that Jesus actually exceeds our experience. He actually transforms our experience of death and judgment. Why? 
because he didn't enter into those things for his own sins. He entered into those things for our sins. For our sins. So for all who look to Jesus, death has been defeated and he now becomes our covering in judgment before the holiness of God. He becomes our advocate. He becomes our cheerleader. We stand there with him. He stands there with us and he's our covering. And this is the heart of Christianity. Like this is the gospel. This is the first advent like we typically think of it. So you know the words of the angel to Joseph. I want you to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he's gonna save his people from their sins. This is verse 26 of Hebrews 9. He has appeared once. Why did he appear once? Why the first advent? I love the language of this, guys. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. To put it away to, take it, to, to remove the fear of judgment before the holiness of God, to put it away that we would stand with him and him with us. And so sin and death have been dealt with decisively in the first advent, but isn't it true, church? Sin and death have been dealt with in Jesus. We'd all say amen, but we still feel the effect of those things here and now. There are still funerals. We still have to make amends. We still repent of sin. And this is why the second half of verse 28 is so important to us. Look at 28 with me. And so Christ, he was offered once, the first advent, to bear the sins of many. He will appear a second time. But then, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. So the accomplishment of the first advent gives way and points beyond itself to the second. I love this passage. Lean in with me. Here's what he's driving at. The innocent blood of Jesus has so completely dealt with sin. It's so completely dealt with sin that it does not need to be dealt with again. Now you and I repent of sin all the time, but it's, his innocent blood has so completely dealt with sin that even though you and I still repent, another sacrifice doesn't need to be made. He's dealt with it. His offering one time at the cross was sufficient for all time. That's good news. But let me raise the good news. This verse says, he will appear a second time. He will appear a second time. And so for those of you who trust in Jesus, and, and hear this please, because I think some Christians are confused about this. For those who look to Jesus, when he returns, the passage just said, it won't be to deal with your sins in judgment. That's already happened at the cross. Judgment was absorbed by Jesus in our place for us. So when he returns a second time, it won't be to deal with your sins, it will be to finish the job on your salvation. Satan, sin, and death were struck a death blow at the cross. Satan, sin, and death were defeated at the cross of Jesus and at his return, Satan, sin, and death will be destroyed vanquished, done away with, not just defeated, but destroyed. And that, so that we can enjoy the uninterrupted presence of God forever. And I want you to notice how definitively this verse speaks of the return of Jesus. It says this, he will appear a second time, period. He'll do it. 
Not if he'll appear a second time. He will appear a second time. It's not up for grabs. It's not negotiable. There's not theological debates about this. It's true. It's fixed. Just as sure as his first appearing, so also he will appear a second time. The return of Jesus is the great expectation. It's the great hope of the entire New Testament. The New Testament writers can't hardly go on for too long without circling back around. Hey, he's coming again. (laughs) He's coming again. So I'll show you a few references here. John 14, let's start with Jesus. I love this. We're about to read a reference of Jesus in John 14 before he goes to his suffering, which means he's talking about his return before his death. Notice what he says here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Couldn't we just hang on verse one? Hear Jesus say that to you today. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself that that where I am, you may also be. Acts chapter one, verses nine to 11. This is the resurrected Jesus ascending into heaven. He had his 12 disciples there, it says in verse nine. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, because he's going into heaven, that's why. But they say, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Physically, visibly, personally. In the same way you saw him taken up, he will return again. I could go to so many more in the New Testament. I'll I'll flash forward to the end. Three times in the final 15 verses in the book of Revelation, It's the last chapter. Three times in the final 15 verses, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Chapter 22, verse 20 reads this way. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John just takes the word out of our mouth. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so Advent is first about God, Secondly, Advent is about the gospel, the miraculous birth of Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus, the atoning death of Jesus for sin, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to defeat sin and death. But don't stop, don't sell your gospel short. It's all of those things and the return of Jesus to finish what he started. And so here's the final move today. We stand between the Advents. We stand between the first and the second. And I don't think I have to venture too far to say that you and me, we don't think about the return of Jesus as often as we should. It's the regular refrain of the New Testament, but I don't think you and I think about the return of Jesus as often as we should. I want you to imagine something with me as we close today. I mean, if you have to, close your eyes to go there. But I want you to imagine life without sin. 
I want you to imagine life without evil in the world. Just take this up in your imagination. Imagine life without lust. Imagine there's no more anxiety and depression. No more trouble. Imagine there's no more insecurity. No more cancer, no more sickness. Jealousy and anger are gone. Betrayal and abandonment are gone. Abuse and fatherlessness and gossip and doubts and fear. I want you to hold that there with me for a second and imagine imagine life without that one nagging sin that keeps coming back over and over. That sin that hovers over you like a rain cloud and drenches you with accusations against your security in Jesus. I want you to imagine life without that. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you go, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. But for the Christian, I want you to hear, that's not just your imagination. <laughs> All the things that your mind just went to, that's not just your imagination. That is a certain coming reality. He will appear a second time. And while we're in this moment that's totally different than the Old Testament saints. Like so many things are different between us and the Old Testament people. But our longing isn't too different. We actually long, yes, the Messiah has come. And like them, we wait. But we want him to come again, don't we? We want him to come again. And so the invitation is to come to this place where you and I would yield to what we already know is true. You know that only God will do. You know that. For all the places that you're trying to cover over and patchwork a life together, you know only God will do. Advent is the invitation just to yield to that. Just, just to yield to that. Over and over again in the New Testament, we're invited to cultivate a spiritual hunger, not just desire for God, but we're called to cultivate a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied when those eastern skies break. They can only be satisfied by the return of Jesus. And so for some of you, like I get this because I'm in the same place. There are struggles that you have. Like there are prayers that you've prayed for God to do something or for God to take something away or for God to step in. There are prayers that you've prayed for years that feels like they've gone unanswered. There are evils in the world that you lament. Like for some of you, I, I know because of conversations, there's a loneliness that you bear that doesn't seem any relationship can fill. And remember what we said in the beginning, Advent starts in the dark. Like it actually starts in those places. And so we stand in our moment on this side of the first Advent. And what we do is we take up the same cry as the Old Testament saints from the book of Psalms. How long, O Lord? For all those struggles, for all those unanswered prayers, for all the loneliness that no relationship will fill, for all the, how long, O oh Lord? Make haste. Only you can fix this. Only you will do. That's the cry of Advent, the Advent season. How long, O oh Lord? The finish today is I want to 
pastorally just say, I want, I want to challenge you to add something to your Merry Christmas this year. As we, as we do the longing together, I want you to add something to your Merry Christmas. For Christians, it's right and good for us to say, Merry Christmas, Christ has come. All right? But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to add something this year. Merry Christmas. As you long, how long, O oh Lord? Christ has come. But I want you to add to it, he's coming again. Merry Christmas, Christ has come. That's true, praise be to God. He's coming again. Revelation 22 and verse 20. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. Can you take that up in your imagination today? Can you take up those red letters? Can you hear from your resurrected, reigning Lord, surely I am coming soon. Over your prayers that feel as though they've been unanswered, over the dark, over depression, over anxiety, surely I'm coming soon. Can you hear that? Surely I'm coming soon. And can we respond, amen. Come Lord Jesus. Only you will do, amen. Jesus, don't, it would not hurt my feelings if the trumpet blew today. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask, my request right now would be that by the Holy Spirit, would you please do something for us this week? I would ask God that you would bother us. <laughs> I would ask God that you wouldn't help us just move on too quickly from hearing the truth we've heard today. Holy Spirit, would you bother us this week so that we would actually turn back to you in prayer and try to cultivate a desire for you that only your return could satisfy. And even where that feels clumsy, like how do I begin with that? Would you just simply, Holy Spirit, prompt us and we would just simply ask you, would you do something in me that only you can satisfy? Father, I ask that you would detox us from the world and attach us again to your son, Jesus. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.